Siege by James Mason Above a Whisper My own formal initiation into the ranks of the hard core took place in the barracks and ward rooms of the American Nazi Party headquarters in Arlington, Virginia, during the latter half of the 1960s. There, amidst the off-hour hijinks and the smoking and joking, typical of the paramilitary style of the day, would come forth expressions of unsanctioned, forbidden ideas of violence and revolution, more closely resembling those of the enemy we were regularly fighting in the streets of Washington, D.C., as the Vietnam War raged 10,000 miles away. We believed in what we were doing, but most of us felt uncomfortable, left wanting with the current program and strategy. We wanted to attack the real enemy, and furthermore, we were more than tired of knocking down enemy minions, only to have them get back up. We openly confided amongst ourselves, the duty officers, the pressmen, the clerks, the shippers, the rank-and-file troopers, that what was required was a gaping hole knocked in the system order of things so that the blood could be splashed from one end of the country to the other. The loss of Commander Rockwell was so recent and his memory so fresh then that we carried on in his absence as though we expected his eventual return. As it turned out, no one had the vaguest idea of what to do or how to do it. The prevailing school of thought was that of professionalism and orthodoxy. In other words, to continue the 1933 approach. I recall one heated occasion when I crossed ideological and strategic swords with one junior officer at the headquarters building. I was talking then a very adolescent version of what I'm talking now, and his response was that I would one day have to be restrained by the party. He hasn't been active now in many years. But, just as vividly, I recall the first snapping of the ice in the earliest springtime of our movement, as we have it today. The refreshing and invigorating changes were first provided by Dr. William Pierce, as our propaganda chief then, in his usually effective and widely listened to white power messages that thousands of people across the country would call in to hear. He had recorded a message in reference to a certain clique of senators and congressmen who were busy selling out the soldiers in Vietnam. He concluded that one doesn't talk against people like these. One doesn't vote against them in the next election. One kills them! About that same time, during one of his addresses to the First Party Congress in 1969, after he had invited questions from the floor, and one naive delegate asked what we should do with the white race traitors. He spoke not a word, but gesturing with thumb and index finger, forming the barrel and hammer of a pistol being fired. This brought the entire assembly to its feet, and the loudest outbursts of cheering and applause heard during that three-day gathering. So it was out, above a whisper, and, more than that, it was official. In less than one year, Dr. Pierce was out of the party, and on his own, 
with the endeavor he still currently heads. Though a number of cosmetic and tactical changes in style and technique, he has never in 13 years compromised his stand as being among the foremost of the hardcore idealists, and whose name carries more weight in the movement circles today than Dr. William Pierce and the National Alliance. Are you fed up with the Jew, niggers, spicks, pakis, Bangladeshis, gooks, dinks, Indians, aborigines, Somalian refugees, Hmong tribesmen? Then join the VNN revolution at GoVNN.com.